Okay, uh, we're, we're looking at, at uh, Exodus as one of the books we're looking at. In the new year, we're actually going to be looking at Exodus and 1 John, aren't we, Dave? It's going to be. So, um, and just using Exodus as a sort of uh, training manual of God's uh, taking people from slavery into freedom. You know, that's the picture that we're putting in front of you, is that, that God set his people free from Egypt to live in freedom and live in the promised land. Um, and yet they had to go on a journey where they had to learn how to actually be free. You know, they were freed, but they weren't free in their, in their mindset. So God needed to get them ready to, to live in all that he had for them. And that's, that's the truth of, of Christianity. God uh, sets us free from stuff so that we're free for stuff. And uh, Dave Carter did a good job on that last week. Um, I recommend listening to that message if you've not heard it. But, um, and I want to go back to, to the story of the Red Sea because um, I've just been uh, looking at it and it's just, I was just uh, a couple of Sunday evenings ago, well, about three Sunday evenings ago, I was preaching around this stuff and God just stirred some uh, thoughts up in me. So in Exodus 14, we get the story of the Red Sea and we can bring it up. I'm starting about verse 10. I'm just going to go through the story with you and comment and then we'll land on some stuff it says as pharaoh approached the israelites looked up and there were the egyptians marching after them <coughs> the israelites were terrified and cried out to the lord you can understand that couldn't you these are people who have been slaves all they've known is with these people is that these are their slave masters they could kill them at any moment in time they could whip them they had complete control over them so so you, you would understandably be afraid uh, if you're backed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are after you. Now, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So the, the, the Israelites are having second thoughts, to say the least. Um, which was, so, wow, what have you done to us? You know, we'd have been better off as slaves. At least we had cucumbers to eat. I've never got the cucumber bit. That, that, that really does confuse me, but that was the thing that they reminisced about the most. It seemed cucumbers was, was, was good news. So, you know, and, and at least we had a life. We knew what, what, we knew how that life worked. Um, now when you're born again, you're born again into a new life. And actual fact, do you ever have any of that thoughts? How does this life work? Because I knew how it worked before, but I don't understand this one quite. It's, it's a different thing. Anyway, we'll come on to that. Understandably, they're afraid. So Moses comes up with a nice answer, which is quite a common one. You hear a lot of people use it in the Bible. Uh, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Isn't that, that's, is that encouraging? It is. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Woohoo! You don't look very happy about that, but I'm thinking. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Now, does that sound great? You fancy that as a life? The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. This is Moses' exhortation to the whole nation. Okay. This is God's reply to that. The Lord said to me, Why are you crying out to me? Let's let that sink in for a moment. This is, this is God's answer. Uh, excuse me, why, why, why cry out to me? <laughs> this is to Moses. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea 
to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. What's the point? The point is that God didn't say he was going to do it all. So, <laughs> what you say, when, when Moses says, you only need to be still, God says, no you don't. You are responsible. God's not going to do it all for you. You've gone quiet on me. You really have gone quiet on me. Because it would be so easy if God did it all for you. Just ruined your Christmas. I'm sorry. I could, I could ruin it in other ways. But, uh, <laughs> it's, how many of you, when you were born again, everything was rosy? It seemed amazing. A few months or a year or so, anything in, wow, this is tougher. What happened? God's asking you to grow up. He expects you to use what you've been given. So what had Moses been given? Well, if you go back in the story of Exodus, there's quite a lot about him throwing his rod on the ground, it turning into into a snake, picking the snake up, and he gets his rod back, and you think, well, that's a strange story, and then he uses his rod, and the Egyptians use their rods as well. Yeah? But actually, whose rod swallows up the Egyptians' rods, and all that sort of stuff? So who's got the biggest rod? I have to be careful how we quote that one. But that's, that's good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, Moses, Moses has the ultimate rod, the one that is more powerful. And what does God expect him to do with it? Use it. it it's not bad, because God goes on to say this. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they were going after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Now, this is a good bit. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. Now, if you can, just, just, just clock that one a minute. So they've got an angel who's been going in front of them, and they still think it's a good idea to go back to Egypt. It's not as if, not as if these guys weren't witnessing pretty supernatural, spectacular stuff. And yet they're still afraid. I think some people, some Christians think, well, if I have this experience, then I'll be done. You won't. Experiences are for you to learn from so that actually you learn to live in all the good of what you've got, not depend upon experiences. Christianity is not a series of experiences. It's a life to live. (coughs) And... So, the angel <coughs> withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. So not only have they got an angel, they've got a pillar of cloud. Now, I think most of us would be happy to have that wandering around with us day by day. That would be kind of cool through daily life. Throughout the night, the cloud... Let's look at this. This is, this is fascinating. The night, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. That's cool. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. What did Moses do? Used his rod. The the rod is the symbol of authority. He used the authority that God had given him. Who gets to do miracles on planet Earth now? We do. How do we do it? Well, it's, it's, it's an issue of authority. When Jesus sent, sent 
his disciples out. And we'll come on to this in a bit more. He didn't say, right, I want you to pray for everybody. He didn't say don't. I'm just telling you. That's not his, he says, I give you authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. How do you exercise that authority? It might, not, it might need prayer, but Jesus didn't send you out just to pray for people. He sent you out to do the stuff. And sometimes people think, well, we pray. I'm, you know, in, in this, we're calling out to God to do it. And God said, what are you, why are you crying out to me? What, why, why? What are you doing? I've already given it to you. Get on with it. So learning how to use the authority that God has given us is, is actually vitally important. Okay? Now I'm going to be doing more on that this evening and keep on going at this. Because we've got to get this. Christianity is, is... A lot of people think that if they approve their, their prayer lives, things will happen. If we gathered together and prayed, you know, we use it, if, if my people will, you know, in my name and pray. Well, yes, I, I'm not... Hear me wrong. I'm not against prayer. But just satisfying ourselves that we do it with prayer meetings is not going to do it. You know, in your daily life, you don't have the time to crowd, get a crowd of people to pray. And I look at Emily over there, you know, oh, Sainsbury delivery man's got a bad back. Prayer meeting. Let's have a prayer meeting. Quick, gather people as many as can. WhatsApp group, text them, everybody, pray. Quick. No. You use your authority in that moment. You with me? I'm not saying don't gather people. Just, just hear me right. But, but how much authority have you been given? Yeah, pretty big lot. You've been given a rod. And the rod you've been given is the one that Jesus gave you. All that night, the Lord drove, back the sea, drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. So what happens is, when you step out, when Moses stepped out and he used his rod, then God starts to act. And that's usually the way of faith. Yeah? In, in, in the stories of healings, there's so many people, they have to do something... And then they get healed. There's, there's an activity. Faith, faith without works is dead. Faith is activated by doing stuff and brings it in, into being. And authority and faith are, are closely linked, absolutely closely linked. And then the Israelites move. You know the story. They move through. And then actually, who, who, who gets the sea to move back to swallow up all the enemies? Actually, it's Moses. You read the story. It's Moses stretches out and Moses, boom. Moses causes the Egyptians to be drowned. So you've got authority over your enemies as well. Yeah, sometimes you think, oh God, help me, help me. Please help me, I'm crying out to you. God says, use your authority. You drown those enemies. Because I've given you authority to do so. Fear is an enemy. What casts out fear? Love. Perfect love. Love people. Receive the love of God. Who, who, that's, not, that's not a crying out to God issue. That's just receive issue. And a give. Yeah? Making sense to you? This, 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 is, this is the stuff that works. <clears throat> so, in Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus says this. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In Matthew 28, verse 10, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. How much has he got? All in where? 
heaven and earth, not just earth, heaven and earth. Therefore, so because he's got authority, this is what we're meant to do, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, now, uh, there is, there's quite a lot of stuff about discipling nations, and I understand that. It's, it's true, but I, I, I've, I've still yet to work out how you baptize a, na- a nation. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It looks to me like you, you make disciples of people, and as you do that, you affect nations. So I, said, yeah, I understand influencing nations, but it's like this thing, well, we're called to disciple nations. Well, we are, but how do we do that? By making disciples of people, because they, people are baptized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, what I want you to get here is a link between being given authority and, com- and fulfilling the Great Commission, and part of that great commission is what we're expected to do when people become disciples of Jesus Christ. What is the first thing that we're told to do? It's here. Baptize them. The Red Sea is an image of two things. Being born again, walking through from one land to another into a new life. It's also the image of baptism where all your enemies get drowned. When you were born again, how many of your sins get drowned? All of them. How many did you bring forward with you into your... your life? None. Here's another question. How many curses can you bring forward with you into your new life? None. This is quite important. There's quite a lot of teaching around generational curses. Ever heard any of that? Well, let me just hit that one on the head. You cannot bring a curse with you into your newborn existence. It gets drowned in the process of because you, your life, you, you, this is a dead life. The image is, 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 is death, death and burial of an old way of life and a completely new life. Not a renewed life. Now, when we talk about generational curses, I believe we empower the idea that we can bring stuff from the past into our new existence. And when we give that light power, it starts to have power in our lives. Now, what I do believe, okay, this is important, is that, that we are affected by our past in the way we think and behave. But we are, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I'm not saying your mind doesn't be, need to be renewed. It does. But your spirit is made brand new. The Bible talks about you were born again of the spirit. And it says the spirit gives birth to spirit. So it's really important. So if you're born again, the spirit gives birth to spirit. So what is the essence of your new nature? It's your spirit, not your mind or your body. Yeah? That's where we have to learn to live from our spirits rather than be bogged down by our previous thinking. If we live by the spirit, and the spirit, the spirit will lead us into all truth... And he will set us free. Yeah, the truth will set you free. Because that's what, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. He leads you into all truth. The truth will set you free. So a mind that is informed by the Spirit will become a free one. It will go out of slavery into freedom. But if we believe we bring stuff from the past into the present, we are already enslaving ourselves. So how important is baptism? 
I want to tell you, it's vitally important. Jesus didn't say, go out there and tell them good news and that's it. He said, baptize them. Baptism is a fundamentally important part of people's beginning their life of coming out of slavery into freedom. And I'm not sure we talk about it enough at the moment. It used to be part of the foundation class for joining the church, didn't it, Dave? You know, when we, the training had gone, it was one of those things. Oh, yes, it's, and it is actually a foundational issue. It tells you in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, it's verse 2, I think, that, that, that these are the foundations of, of, of Christianity include baptisms. And I'm going to come on to the baptisms because I haven't got time this morning, but I'm going to probably do this tonight about baptism in the spirit. There's, there, there's a baptism in water and there's a baptism in the spirit. Um, if you want to have a look at that, if you just look at the story of, in, in Samaria, when um, people get baptized in the name of Jesus, but they've not actually been baptized in the Spirit, the apostles come along and do that. Then if you go to the story of Cornelius, two chapters later, God decides he's going to baptize them in the Spirit before they get baptized in water. God's not too fussed which way it goes, as long as both happen. Yeah, sometimes we think, which, which way round has it got to be? It doesn't matter, as long as you do both. Mark 16, verse 15 says this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Woo! Mark 16, verse 15. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, belief and baptism are meant to go together. Some people ask me, well, when will I be ready to be baptized? You know, do I have to have a baptism class? Do I have to, how much do I have to understand? You don't. Because it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual reality. And it's a simple act of obedience. That's all it is. It's an act of obedience saying, I've got, you know what? Man, I've got a dead life. Might as well bury it. And then forget it. Because I've got a new life to live. What happens if you don't effectively bury this? Then it still has relevance. It gets stinky. As they say in the story of Lazarus, by now it has a bad odour. God doesn't want you to bring bad odours with you. Bury it. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's talked about when people said, what shall we do in response to the gospel? He said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are fundamentally important to how we start our Christian lives. Baptism simply follows repentance. The decision, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. So, I want you to think right now. Have you been born again? That's an easy question. I hope. If you haven't, then we'll sort that out at the end of the meeting if you'd like to. But that's the, fund- that's the fundamental. You can't enter the kingdom of, can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. You have to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. So if you're born again, what is the next step you have to take? Baptism. Here's the question. Have you taken that step? You say, well, I got baptized as a child. No, you, you had a ceremony. I'm not saying it wasn't a nice ceremony or that or didn't have some significance, but you can't be baptized in the biblical state unless it follows repentance it, it follows belief you can't now there is language that, that, that talks about the babies being born again 
as it's in the, in the, the ceremony, which I think is really unhelpful because babies are not born again when they're christened, whatever you like to call them. And when you have an act of confirmation, you can't confirm something that hasn't happened. It can be meaningful, don't get me wrong, it can be meaningful, but, but, but basically, I believe if you've not been baptized since you've been born again, you need to. Be, be, why? Because it's your part of your journey from slavery to freedom that is fundamentally important, and Jesus said, do it. People say, well, do I need to do it? We don't need, don't have to do it. It's, it's, it's always your choice, but why wouldn't you do it? Next baptism of February the 17th, there we go. So. People say, well, yeah, but I did this and did that. Well, does it, does it count? Well, I don't know, but why, why, why get worried about it? Do it. What's the problem? There's sort of religious, all sorts of Just do it. People say, well, can you do it again? I don't really care as long as you make sure you get it done. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm, I thought, because we used to go, oh, we, 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 oh, I don't know. If you don't know you've been baptized, probably just get it done. Why? Because it's important for your freedom. And it's not just important for yours, it's important for all of Eastgate's. It's not just an individual thing. This is a corporate thing. How many people got baptized on, the, on day of Pentecost? 3,000 people. So, now I'm going to give you a chance. If you're born again and you haven't been baptized, what are you going to do about it? Well, we're going to give you an opportunity on February the 17th to get baptized. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. See, baptism was a very, very public declaration of I am living for Jesus. It's what it is. And certainly, it was nailing your colors to the mast. And certainly in the New Testament times, it was an absolute declaration of, I've gone from that, I'm going to this. I think it needs to be done today. And I'm going to suggest to you that if you want to make that as a step out, just to help you, that you, you, you stand right now. I don't often do a public thing, but I thought, you know, this baptism is a public declaration. If you've not been baptized, I'm not saying you have to stand, but if you think, yeah, I need to get this done, then if you stand, it'll help you, and then come and see Dave afterwards, and he'll take your name down, and he'll just help you make sure you don't forget it, okay? It won't be too late if you don't do it right now, but I just wanted to help you. So as I land this, I want to say that this evening I'll be talking about baptism in the Spirit, if you want to come and do that, and um, that's it, that's cool as well. So, here's your chance. Been born again, not baptized, you want to be baptized, I suggest you stand where you are right now. Good for you. Well done. Thank you, that's nailing your colors to the mask. Well done. Okay. What, what, what would be helpful is if you come and Dave, you just stand up because actually Dave will just tell a little bit more about this. So thank you for that. We celebrate. This is not this. This is well done because this is. I'm nailing my colours to the mast and I'm get, making sure I get free. Good.